I, I do have PowerPoint, hopefully it works. I'm hoping, trusting that the PowerPoint will show up. <laughs> All right, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I don't have to shout because I have this. You have to. Good morning. morning. Wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) Let's pray. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. We thank you for your son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. I pray that as we look into your word this morning that we will be blessed. We will be encouraged, we will be strengthened and given hope. I pray that Jesus will be magnified and glorified as we look into your word. And I ask you will guide my words, that they will bring glory to you. Guide my thoughts, that they will line up with what you have me say. I just pray that today believers will be encouraged and sinners will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Um, uh, the last time I spoke, I spoke uh, on Mother's Day. That was um, because uh, it's Mother's Day, so you have to speak on Mother's Day, right? <laughs> so it was Mother's Day's topic. Because I'm likely to move up and down, I need to move this so I don't bang into it. Hmm doesn't want to be moved. So, and uh, before then, I was speaking on the things that Jesus said on the cross, and I said I will speak on a few of them, not all of them. And um, so I'd like to continue along that theme. So let me start by saying I don't like saying Greek, the Greek word, the Greek meaning, the Greek thing. It's not usually me when I'm up here. But if there is one Greek word that you need to remember, is that one. I'm hoping that by the time we are done this morning, everybody will remember, everybody will say it. As my wife was uh, editing my notes, my wife edits my notes. <laughs> when she finished, she said, Tetelestai. <laughs> That's what she told me. So she said, Tetelestai. So uh, I didn't catch on immediately. You know, but she was essentially telling me, it is finished, come and take it. (laughs) Yeah, so this is the word, the one word that I'm praying that you will remember, that it will be ingrained in your mind. Because it tells us something that Jesus finished. So this is uh, part one. There will be a part two on this. Tetelestai, it is finished. Jesus' sixth word on the cross. Philip Bliss writes these words, man of sorrows, what a name. For the son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a savior. Lifted up was he to die, 
It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a savior. I have two questions this morning. Because I want your interaction. Because I can see me drowning on for the next one hour. So at least you should at least wake up and, you know, answer. So this is, this, here we go, the first one. Hope you can read it. All of us are sinners, including Peter. All of us. So I just want you to name the sins that Peter committed when Jesus was on earth that are written in the four Gospels. I'm sure he committed many others that are not written. But the scripture deems it fit to at least mention a few. He could have committed it as a, with a group of people or by himself. You know, I asked my little boy this when we went for a walk yesterday. And he was able to name one. So, yeah? Denying Jesus three times. Yeah, he cut somebody's ear. Did you know that? That Peter cut somebody's ear. So please don't cut off somebody's ear. Not good. <laughs> what else? So, little faith when Jesus, when he was on the waves. Sometimes behave that we behave that way. Little faith. And he, he, he talked back to Jesus when Jesus said he was going to go to the cross and die. Anymore. He, he did what? He lied. He, lied. he, he said he didn't know Jesus. Now, I think you can see the picture. I think we fall into all of those groups, one way or the other, in some fashion, including me. He lied. He said he didn't know Jesus. Yes. That's what he said. What else? He told Jesus not to wash his feet. You can't wash my feet. So he told Jesus, when Jesus said he wanted to do something, Peter said, no, you can't do it. Have you ever found yourself in that category? Sometimes in your mind without saying it out loud. I do. What else? The sin of unbelief. So Peter did that. Okay, I have the next question. Two questions. Which do you consider the most serious and why? Unbelief, denying Jesus. Unbelief, denying Jesus. Now, I, I'm not sure there's a wrong answer, but I have mine. And I, and I think mine is right. <laughs> because it's your consideration. Yeah, because I, I will tell you why mine is right. So, so, so don't worry about it. You know, the idea is your consideration. You might consider that this is the most serious. All right. Any more? Uh, denying Jesus, unbelief, those are the serious sins. Now, let me suggest to you this morning. I have put up passages there for you to read. In Matthew, 
16, Matthew 17, Mark 8, Mark 9, Luke 9, Luke 8. So let's read together this one. Now, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And then Peter spoke on behalf of the disciples and said, some say that you are Elijah, some say you are John the Baptist and the prophet. And then he said, who do you say? But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Notice, then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And, notice, and he began. That means before now he has not been telling them this, but he's going to tell them something. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then, Peter took him aside. A very wise thing to do. He took him aside and did something. And began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around, so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Please notice the word because I'm going to explain. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Those are strong words. Very strong. Now let me read another passage. So I'm going to read, that was Mark. And let me read Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 30 as well. Just part of the passage there. Now it came to pass about eight days after these things, after this event, about eight days after. Mark will say six days after. Matthew will say six days, but Luke said about eight days after that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glittering, and behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his disease, deceased, or exodus, or departure, or crucifixion, which was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So I'd like to suggest to you this morning, and here's the reason why, that when Jesus began to talk about his suffering, notice this is in Mark chapter 8, that means before Mark chapter 8, he never spoke about suffering. He never spoke about crucifixion. When he got to Mark chapter 8, after Peter had declared that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that was to be exalted, Jesus began to teach them about his suffering. So he began to say that the Son of Man must suffer. Not optional, must suffer. 
Many things and be rejected by the elders and the priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So Peter listened to these words and said, what? You are the Christ, the anointed one, the one that is to be king and you are talking about suffering. We didn't sign up for that. That's not the bargain. And so wisely he took Jesus aside. He took him aside said, Lord, this is a bad idea. You don't have to say this. This is wrong. But notice what Jesus did. He didn't speak to Peter just alone. He turned to all the disciples and rebuked Peter. And then said these strong words, get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. And eight days later, he took Peter, James, and John and was transfigured before them. Two men showed up, Elijah and Moses, and they had only one topic. His departure that was to happen in Jerusalem. His crucifixion that was to happen in Jerusalem. So let me suggest to you that this was a great error on Peter's part when he said, no cross. Without the cross, the Christian worldview or the Christian life is futile. It's in God's plan that it must happen. In fact, notice, the cross of Christ was the subject of Jesus' rebuke of Peter and the subject of Jesus' conversation with Moses that, re that represents the law and Elijah that represents the prophet was the most important subject in Jesus' conversation because it is the only means of the new creation. And there's a verse I want you to note this verse is very important. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. This is God's verdict of Christians. This is God's verdict of you. If you are a believer, if anyone is in Christ, he is. If you like, put she if you want. Is a new creation. That's how God sees you. All things have passed away. Behold, all, all things have become new. That's a verse you should remember. You are a new creation if you are in Christ. All things is history. All things have become new. All right, let's move on. Jesus' faith word and six words on the cross. I'm going to speak on the sixth, not the fifth. I don't know why I highlighted the fifth. It must have been I wasn't paying attention, but the sixth is actually what I'm going to be speaking on. So let's read. John 19, 18 to 20. When, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city as it is written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Let me just note that uh, just for the, for the fun of it or for the kick of it, I've returned to my love of New King James. It's been a while since I used New King James. I love those words. So I, I, I put the New American, then it says, I am thirsty. I said, no, it says I thirst, New King James. So I've returned. And so <laughs> New King James is what I'm using this morning. And then continuing in John 19, 28 to 37, after this, Jesus knowing, so Jesus was on the cross. That's the context. After this, Jesus knowing all things were now accomplished. That is the same word, tetelestai. All things were now tetelestai. I want you to remember that word. That the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on his soap, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was a preparation day, that the bodies shall, should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Jesus that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his leg. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out and he, he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierce. Tetelestai the shout of victory. So my notes, everything is in there, even the one that I'll be talking about. So everything, I just write them, and then you can read. Sometimes you can listen, and sometimes you can doze off, you know, depending on where you are, and all of that. Part of it is because I am Nigerian, I have Nigerian accent, and sometimes you are wondering, what is he saying? You can read, and sometimes you remember. So it's all good. It is finished. It's a shout of victory, not defeat. Jesus held his head high while he was on the cross. It was only when he said, it is finished, and shouted it that he bowed his head. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Now, Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Well, in the original language, it's one word, tetelestai. That's the Greek word you should remember. By the time you leave this place this morning, remember tetelestai. And you should remember it in the context of Jesus on the cross. It means it is finished. 
It stands finished, always will be finished. Nothing to add, nothing to subtract. That's what it means. It will always be finished. So I'm going to share three facts about this word. It's a familiar word. Fact number two. It was spoken or shouted by a faithful savior. And fact number three about the finished work. Today, the first two will be spoken. Next time, the third one will be. But I'm sure element of the third one will be in the first two. So, I'm sure when you go to restaurants or places like that, or go to the gym, you don't hear people saying, Tetelesta. You don't hear such things, because nobody says that. But during Jesus' time, that was a common word that was spoken. Tetelestai. The servants spoke the word. You gave them assignment to do, and then they go and do it, and then they come back to the master and say, Tetelestai. The priests, they say the same word. So it was a common word during Jesus' time. And even artists say the same thing, merchants and others. It was just common. The Lord Jesus spoke in a way that is clear so that everyone will understand. So it's also a familiar word. Let's see how it applies to us. So, I don't know if you know this. There were lots of slaves in the Roman Empire. A few weeks ago, one of my colleagues in the office was giving a presentation and he was talking about the Roman Empire. You know, because we have these two to 10 minutes presentation that people used to practice how to present. So there were at least 6 million slaves or servants in the Roman Empire. And most of these people were highly educated. During the time of Jesus, that was when the, the Roman Empire was in place. And so what ends up happening is that you know, the master will give an assignment to the servant, said, I want you to go and do this. And the servant will go out and do what the master has asked him or her to do. And then when he comes back, he will say, Tetelestai, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. So that was a common word. We have to remember, oh, come on. Pressing the wrong button the wrong way. Jesus Christ was God's holy servant. God sent him on an assignment when he came. And uh, most people, when they saw him after he had performed so many miracles, they were expecting that he was going to become the Christ the next ruler, the one that was going to conquer Rome and sit on the throne. That was why Peter took him aside and warned him. But Jesus did not come to become a king in his first coming, to sit on any throne. He came to serve. And he came to solve the heart of the problem, and the heart of the problem is sin. That's the issue. 
is sin. He came as a special servant because God had a special assignment for him to do. Dealing with the problem of sin. And so he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even the death on the cross. It was the lowest and the meanest form of death. No Roman citizen could ever be crucified regardless of the crime. It was reserved for those who were considered slaves or servants or non-citizens. You remember on one occasion when Paul was about to be flogged and then he told the centurion, I am a Roman citizen. Is it lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen without judgment? The man recoiled. So Roman citizens could not be crucified because it was the lowest, the meanest form of death. But the Lord Jesus, the one that made all things, the one that held all things together, came down and became a servant, humbled himself up to the point of death to suffer on our behalf. Let's read these words. We are encouraged that let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of a servant, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a born servant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient to who? To the task that God had given to him, to God, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Tetelestai, spoken by God's faithful servant. In John chapter 17, verse 4, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus said these words, I have glorified you on the earth. I have given I have finished the work which you had given me to do. So when Jesus said Tetelestai as God's servant, he was essentially saying, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. The work of dying for sin. And my wife asked me, what time are you finishing? And I said, 12.30. I'm not so sure, but it might happen. It's 12, so there's time. We end church these days at 12.30, just standard, just for the sake of those that are new. That's when we end. It was also a familiar word spoken by priests. There were all kinds of priests in the Roman Empire, and there was also priests that, uh, uh, that Jewish priests. They, they spoke this word, Tetelestai. So when an a worshiper brought an offering, whether it was a lamb or a goat or any other offering, the first task of the priest was to examine the offering. We we'll look at the lamb, make sure that it's not deformed or it's not sick or it's not, uh, 
it doesn't have spot or feeble. It, it looks at it to make sure that the sacrifice that was being brought was tetelestai, faultless. That's what he looked at. And if he looked at it and noticed that it's not, it has spot, it has wrinkled, he will not offer that sacrifice. So the person that brings the sacrifice to the priest, the priest will examine it, look at it, and then before he offers the sacrifice, he will say, Tetelestai. It is spotless. It's perfect. Without fault. And then he will offer the sacrifice. Let me suggest to you that Jesus Christ was God's faultless and spotless sacrifice. You know, when the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to crucify him, and then they brought him before the Sanhedrin, the Hebrew court, they brought witnesses. And the witnesses were lying against him, and their witness could not agree. So they even had to hire liars. Not only that, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, the same voice came. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. And even John said, I have need to be baptized by you. You know, and Jesus had to say, suffer it to be so for now, to fulfill all righteousness. Even the demons admitted that he was the son of God. He said, what have, we to, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us before our time? And not only that, Pilate three times in the book of John said, I find no fault in him. Three times. And Judas Iscariot, the man that betrayed him, said, I have betrayed the blood of an innocent man. I'd like to suggest to you that when Jesus Christ, who was the priest, and also the sacrifice, when he said, Tetelestai, he was speaking to his father and saying, I am offering a faultless, spotless, complete sacrifice. On that week, remember that week of uh, Passover, you know, people were watching his words, watching his action, hoping that he would stumble, but he never stumbled. He fulfilled the law. So, the Lord Jesus, as Peter notes in 1 Peter 1.19, was the lamb who was without blame and without spot. Tetelestai, a faultless complete, spotless, perfect sacrifice. That's what he told God. The faultless, complete, perfect sacrifice. That's the only sacrifice that could take away sin. Every other sacrifice fell short. And so, Tetelestai, Jesus, as the priest said, I am offering a faultless Perfect, complete sacrifice. God's lamb. What else is there? A the familiar word spoken by artists. 
Do you know that there were lots of artists in the Roman Empire? Those who knew how to draw. Those who knew how to make sculpture. There were quite a number of them. And sometimes when the artist has finished drawing and has ended, he will say such a thing as, Tetelestai. The picture is complete. The picture is complete. It's finished. Well, let me suggest to you uh, <laughs> that since creation, God has been painting a picture. You know, he created the universe. God is an artist, the grand artist. Made trees, vegetations, and even called Israel and Moses. And then you will see Moses built tabernacles. You will see things like the Passover happen. And then we see all kinds of pictures and all kinds of um, parts, all kinds of things in the Old Testament that seem to be disjointed. Nothing seemed to fit together until the Lord Jesus arrived. And so on the cross, Jesus Christ himself, the master artist, the one who made all the earth, used his, broad, his blood and painted the complete picture. And so it's very easy now to go to the Passover and read the next order and say, oh, that picture was about the lamb that was coming. It's easy to go and then read about the tabernacle and say, oh, that picture was about the lamb that was coming. You can see all of this in Hebrews. It's mentioned. Or to go to Isaiah and read about the suffering servant and say, oh, that was about the lamb that was coming. Or go to Psalm 22 and read about what David was saying. Say, oh. So the Lord Jesus completed the picture of the scriptures. If you take the cross out of the Bible, you cannot understand the stories and the events in the Old Testament and where they are leading. And so when he said Tetelestai, he was saying, the picture is complete. Uh, two of us, uh, David, we have a friend which we would like to suggest to you. His name is Mike Winger. 23 part series on Jesus in the Old Testament. Painting all the pictures showing that this is how Jesus fits into all of this. In fact, Jesus himself spoke to the people on the road to Emmaus when they said, oh, concerning Jesus Christ, we thought he was going to be a mighty man, a mighty messiah, and now our leaders have killed him. And then Jesus passed by, uh, drew near them, and then he said, what are you talking they say, are you a stranger in Israel? Haven't you heard? It's about Jesus that was killed. And so Jesus began to explain to them, read those words. Then he said to them, 
Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses. The first five books of the Bible. And all the prophets. He expounded them to them in all the scriptures. The things concerning himself. Tetelestai. The picture is complete. The Old Testament makes sense because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It fills in the picture. He completed Old Testament types, pictures, and all of that. A familiar word spoken by artists. I'm moving very fast. And I told my wife it would be 12.30. And she was saying, what time are you finishing? We have Sunday school. It's still possible to be 12.30, but that one is not saying that. Tetelesta. A familiar word spoken by merchants. Traders. We sing it all the time. Man of sorrows, now my debt is paid. It is paid in full. So when you went to, when merchants were, I mean, if you went to a place like Nigeria, where they sell things, which was similar to in those days, the merchants would be arguing with the people that are going to buy things. They would say, $5. And they say, no, no, 6 $2. Say, wow, this doesn't, it's not worth that. Maybe 3 And then they argue at some point, then they settle it. And then you pay. And then they count it. And then they say, Tetelesta. Paid in full. Paid in full. Or if you had, if you had a mortgage in those days, and then you start making the down payments until the last payment is made. Then you take the receipt down and then the merchant or the banker will write, Tetelesta. It is paid in full. Completely paid, stands paid, and will always be paid. The Lord Jesus paid in full. Because all of us, oh God, are sinners. We are all indebted to God. None of us is excluded. God says, these are my requirements. And then we look at it and say, okay, uh, ten commandments. I can keep nine. But the tenth one, for example, I'm missing. So you've missed the mark. And then God says, the wages of sin is death. That will be for you, for me, and all of us. But Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left the crimson stain and it washes white as snow. He took my debt and he wrote across it, the Telestar. He took yours and he wrote across it, it is finished. So he paid it all. There can be no claim made on you again because it was paid, completely paid, fully paid. When you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can count on him to have tetelestied your debt. It is finished and no claim can be made on you. Tetelestai. It is finished. 
Jesus, the servant, finished the work. He offered the perfect sacrifice. He finished the picture of revelation and made it complete. He paid the debt. Fully paid. Completely paid. But what will you do with him? Is the question. Because all of this only applies to you when you accept him as your Lord and Savior. So, three important facts. It was a familiar word spoken by servants. Jesus was God's servant. It was a familiar word spoken by priests. He was the priest and the lamb. It was a familiar word spoken by artists. He was the grandmaster artist of the universe. And words spoken by merchants when it comes to death. You need to remember that, Tetelestai. That's why I'm repeating it over and over again. Tetelestai, you know, Tetelestai. You need to remember that, and you need to remember it in the context of what Jesus has done for you. He didn't make the down payment and then say you paid installment. Some people say, you know, yeah, I believe and he saved me, but I have to work hard to make it. No. He didn't make the down payment and then say, okay, you keep install paying the installment. No, he paid it all. And you need to remember that. So that's important. Spoken by a faithful savior. It was a shout of victory when he was on the cross. As I said, God gave Jesus work to do. The work of taking care of sin, the sin problem. And Jesus was conscious of this from the very beginning. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read these words. Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Behold, I have come in the volume of book. It is written of me to do your will. He came to do the will of God. You remember when he was 12 years old and then they went for a feast and his parents left him and then three days after they didn't find him so they returned back to Jerusalem and said, son, why have you treated us like this? And then he was surprised. He said, why are you looking for me? Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? He had a purpose, a work to do. And uh, in John chapter 4, when he spoke with the woman at the well and the disciples had gone to town to buy food and they came and saw him speaking with the woman, they said, did somebody bring food to him? We went to get food and now he's acting as if he's not hungry. And he said, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So he knew that he was on a mission. And as I said before, when Peter declared him as Christ, Jesus immediately discussed the cross. There's a reason why. Because if you read the sequence of events, you realize that earlier on he had fed 5,000 people. And Peter had declared him Christ. And then the people were thinking, oh, we need to crown him. And then Peter, Jesus interjected and said, I have come for one purpose, to go to the cross, to die. So enemies sought to take him down, you know that, in John. 
But they said it, his time had not yet come. And when his time had come, he, he walked to them. He said, whom are you looking for? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, okay, I'm I. Let these ones go. And he surrendered himself to them. So he had a mission or a work to do. And he was faithful in doing it. He did it in spite of oppositions. Lots of oppositions. Right? So let me just say this. I want you to remember this. God the Father had finished the work of creation. We read that in Genesis chapter 1. On the seventh day. But God the Son had a mission. To finish the work of new creation. If any man is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old creation that become corrupted. Will not be fit to enter into heaven. That's why the son knew. There must be a new creation. Because all things have to pass away. All things have to become new. And the only way to get a new creation was this, for the son to do the work that the father gave him. We read in Colossians, it says, having reconciled all things through the blood of his cross. It's all about Jesus and everything hinges on Jesus when it comes to new creation. And so he was faithful to do the work. He did the work despite oppositions from his enemies and from Satan. His countrymen rejected him. We know that because he came to his own and his own refused him. Even the disciples and his family misunderstood him. But he kept going. He kept going. He kept going. Finally, on the cross, he declared Tetelestai. It is finished. He did all of that work. A faithful savior that executed the work in spite of the obstacles because he loved you and he loved me. I'd like to remind you one more thing. It was spoken by a faithful savior. I hope that's the right PowerPoint. Jesus is still faithful. I don't want you to miss this. He is still faithful. And so you can hold on to him, you can cling on to him. He is still faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. On the cross, he faithfully finished the work. Today on the throne, he's a merciful and faithful high priest. In fact, we are assured of salvation so much, it's so certain that Hebrews says, he ever lives to intercede for them. And that's why they're saved forever. He's faithful to forgive when we sin, when we ask for forgiveness. He's faithful to keep us in temptation. He's also faithful to keep us in spite of the obstacles and the challenges that we face. And Paul could declare, I know whom I've believed, for I'm persuaded that he's able to keep me. So he's faithful to keep us in spite of the challenges that we face. My last scripture or question for you before I get there. Are you trusting the faithful savior? 
everything that I've said today really doesn't make sense if you have not come to trust him as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't profit you. That's why it's a challenge. If you're not a believer, today should be your day because Jesus has tetelestat on your behalf. This verse. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Tetelestai. It is finished. Stands finished. Always will be finished. Because the faithful Savior finished the work. As you can see, I've crossed out the first two points. I knew I wouldn't be able to speak on the third one because I will keep you till one o'clock. And uh, people start sleeping off. I say, why is he drowning on? He should finish. So I just said, okay, the first two to be continued. What was finished? I'm sure I've touched on elements of those. But there's more. There's a lot more that was finished. In fact, as Charles Spurgeon said many years ago, he said, Jesus offered one word to the last time on the cross, and he took the Old New Testament to explain what that meant. He finished the work that the Father gave him to do, and he finished it on your behalf and my behalf. It wasn't for him. It was for us. And all we can do is to thank him and to worship him and to faithfully serve him. That's all you can do and to trust him. Are you trusting him? Are you leaning on him? This is the question for you. And if you are, remember, as you step out of this place, Tetelestai, the Lord Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. You know, while thinking about this message, I came across a song which you can write down and you can listen to it. It is titled, It is Finished, by Matt Redman. Uh, my, my music pianist hasn't, uh, hasn't given me permission to sing it yet. I have it all packed. She knows I have it all packed in my head because I played it at least a hundred times to make sure that it's lined up. But when I have the piano, you know, all straightened out, we will sing it. It is finished by Matt Redman. If you haven't listened to it, you can. Just write it down and you can get it. So, the only thing we can say is thank you, Jesus. Thank you for finishing the work on my behalf. And so let's pray and then we will sing. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning to exalt and magnify your son. I pray that you will help us to realize that Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. That he said it is finished. And so it is finished. Stands finished. Always will be finished. Help us not to lose sight that Jesus is all that we need for this life and the life after. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.